Hey, everybody. Thanks for subscribing to the Front Row Knowles podcast. Hope you're tuning in to listen on Real Talk Tallahassee 93.3 if you're in Tallahassee on a weekly basis, Wednesdays at noon. Also want to thank Seminole Boosters. Reminder, uh, if you're not already a member, jump on board to help make a great brand even greater. And don't forget, there are tickets available for Florida State's games this season. Just go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets to grab yours. That said, enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and Keith Jones with you. This is Front Row Knowles. KJ, good to see you. How you doing, sir? No, we're good. We're good. I know you're happy. You got a schedule. It's National Signing Day, Keith. Let's not talk about schedule. I mean, this is the day we... Oh, no, it's not. That happened before <laughs> Christmas. I, I forgot. There's really not much news to report anymore on National Signing Day. Oh, my, how things have changed. I don't like it, candidly. I'm not saying we had to stay married to February, but I don't... Well, we've beaten this to death. I don't like the period right after the regular season and, and shoving it in before the holidays, but whatever, we'll, we'll, we'll beat that drum on another show. The schedule is out and we'll talk with Bob Ferrante about the, the biggest news on the schedule is FSU in Florida moving to Friday. We'll get Bob to weigh in on that. And, and you, you're a regular, what, what's the word here? Uh, you're a historian. I mean, you're the only guy on this show anyway, who played in the FSU Florida game the last time it was on a Friday. A long time ago. Let's see, what would that be? 40, 42 years ago when they play it uh, in November? Uh, 42 years prior? Uh, 43 years prior, maybe, because it was 79 season. Yeah. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Uh, I like it, and uh, I'll be interested to hear Bob's uh, take on it. I know I know some fans are not happy with it, and, and maybe a majority of fans, but there's a, re- there's a number of really good reasons why this is positive for Florida State, in my opinion. Yeah, we'll dive into that. We'll talk about it with Bob, and then you and I will go over the the whole schedule. All in all, I mean, we knew who FSU was going to play. I don't know that you, you can't – I don't think there's anything to argue about with the schedule. I really don't. I mean, you can complain about stuff just to complain, but the reality is last year the schedule came out. We all said, oh, FSU better win all its games early because they're going to win nothing late. And then they didn't win early, and they did much better as the season went on. So – uh, I don't. We don't need to play the the W and L game today, but we can talk about the way it lays out. But I, I don't. I don't think there's much to argue about. Well, and let's remember we were we harken back to times when Florida State was winning ten and eleven games a year, and felt like it had a reason to request or or to uh, veto certain things that were happening. We don't have that luxury. We don't have that capital anymore. So. Uh, I'm very pleased with the schedule, given you know the fact you're coming off of four losing seasons. We'll get back eventually to being able to request or say no or however that works within the scheduling. But right now, let's just play whoever shows up. Well, when you win 10 or 11 games, you're not sweating whether you're going to beat Louisville and Syracuse. Let's just be honest about it, Keith. Right. So that, that's part of the consternation that comes with the schedule release. Okay, so that is straight ahead. Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider, will join us uh, coming up next. We will dive deeper into that Florida FSU game. One advantage, we know a kick time for it. You won't have to wait till six days out. We know that's going to be prime time on Black Friday. So all that straight ahead. Stay with us here on Front Row Knowles. Some battles are worth fighting. They build character. 
and teach important lessons. Other times, the more we resist, the longer we stay stuck. When a simple change would change everything, is your bank holding you back? Try my bank, Prime Meridian Bank. Changing is easy. We'll show you how. Prime Meridian Bank. Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and on the web at TryMyBank.com. Member FDIC. It's a new year, but some things don't change, like your best deal and your best service is still at Hobson Chevrolet Buick in Cairo, Georgia. With 0% available on new and 1.9% available on used, it's a great way to start out the new year. And remember, you'll never get a better deal or be treated better than right here at Hobson Chevrolet in Cairo, Georgia. So whether it's sales or service, come by and see us or check us out at HobsonChevrolet.com. Buy your new Chevrolet the Hobson way. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Pleased as always to welcome Bob Frante, our Osceola insider, who joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. The Earl Bacon Agency are ensuring your future together. Hey, Bob, how are you, sir? Doing well. How are you guys? We're great. The football schedule is out. What do you think? I think there's some things I like, and I think there's two Friday night games that I'm just not sure about. Well, the one at home is maybe raising more questions. What do you not like about the one at Louisville? I'm okay with that one. I I think that makes sense. I I always kind of like it when Florida State is, you know, fulfilling that ACC obligation of playing the Friday night, you know, games. But just because you can't have the games in Tallahassee with with school and then it makes parking a challenge on campus. um, I, I know historically it has not worked out well for Friday night games to be in Tallahassee. I see the positives about playing Florida on the Friday after Thanksgiving. I think the biggest ones are that could be a truly premier national game. It might be the only game going on at say seven, seven thirty, eight o'clock on a black Friday. And that's really good for fans. Recruits will be watching. That's a premium spot that I think is really, really good on the downside. There are still some guys playing high school football won't be able to make visits to Tallahassee. Um, That's typically a good high school football night just around the country. How will students get back? They will have to make flights and make travel plans that they're back in time to watch a game. Will fans be able to make the trip from around the state, around the Southeast? I think you've got a lot of considerations here. Bottom line may be how good are Florida and Florida State? Is that a true, say, top 25 game coming down to final weekend? And if it is, there's nothing to grumble about because everybody's coming back to Tallahassee. I was just going to say, that's the answer to the question, Bob. If it's if it's a battle of two 10-win teams, and that would be overambitious, I think, for where Florida State is right now. But if that's what it was, people will be in the stadium. Go ahead, Keith. I love it because you're talking to a guy, you're listening to a guy that played the last time that Florida and Florida State played on a Friday because it was 1979 in Gainesville. The only thing that would make it better, and this will annoy everyone, so I'll just put it out there, but the only thing that would make it better is if it was a noon kickoff. <laughs> How about 5 a.m.? I played high school games on Fridays after Thursdays, uh, Thanksgiving. Let's do it at 5 a.m., and you can get a new flat-screen TV if you're one of the first thousand into the stands. I mean, let's just go all in on Black Friday, Keith. Why did they play the game when you, in 1979 on a Friday? 
for TV. For TV? Yep. Was it day or night? It was day. And uh, they were 0-8-1. We were 10-0. and That was our undefeated season of the four years I was there. And we beat them. And then they played, I believe, Miami the next week and lost to the Hurricanes. So you celebrated Thanksgiving and Christmas all in eight days there. That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm with Bob and I'm with folks. I understand the concerns. Um, but, guys, I think we've established, and, and I was one of the last to buy into it, is it's not about the people in the stands. It's about the TV. And that's not 100% that way, but that needs to be the thought process. And um, I think every time you get the opportunity to be a single game or the only game in a quote-unquote primetime slot, that you've got to take advantage of it. And uh, I was one of the last that, um, from a media standpoint, that kind of bought into that maybe. And I know some of our longtime fans still haven't. I respect that. But the reality is this is uh, 2022, and this is how this has, is going forward, unfortunately. Well, and let's back, let's back up from You're right about that, Keith. And, and also related to the ACC, I, I mean, you have to do whatever you can to get as much dollars out of the TV contract. And, and we all know where the ACC is on that pecking order. But opening weekend, the ACC is touting the fact that they're playing all five days of Labor Day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Well, that's good, but that's because they have to move their games around to try and peak interest. And if you look at the course of the season, there's several Thursday night ACC games and several Friday night games. It's just that FSU is playing two uh, this year. But, Bob, I would ask this. I mean, if the league comes to FSU and says we really – or ESPN, we really want you to play this Friday night game, can you kick and scream and say, no, absolutely, we're not going to do it, and then be rewarded by playing a Thursday night game next year on a short week? I mean, I don't think you have a lot of great options. I would agree with you. I think you have to play ball if you are a, a school as well as a conference office. And I think Florida State might say, hey, we'll do this. We'll see how it goes from a um, you know ticket sales, concession, parking issue. How does it all kind of come together? What's the response from your fans and boosters? And, and in the end, I, I think if I'm Michael Alford, I, I might just say, hey, may, maybe you guys owe me one down the road. You know, we, we kind of took care of the league by making this Friday night thing work. I don't know if we'll want to see this happen every other year. Will it become a tradition when the game is in Tallahassee? I, I think that's kind of to be determined. If does this work? Does this work for the fan base? It will clearly work for TV. I think we know the ratings will be pretty incredible for Florida, just like ratings are going to be incredible for that LSU game on the Sunday of the Labor Day weekend. For the record, and I went back and looked at this, it's pretty much been – six ACC schools that have played this Black Friday game since it was written into the contract that ESPN gets a Black Friday game, I think started in 2013. Miami and Pitt have done it three times. Virginia and Virginia Tech have done it three or four times. And NC State and North Carolina have done it three or four times. So you've got roughly half the ACC now with FSU doing it. It'll be half the ACC's done it. This is the first time it's been a non-conference team involved. So a little interesting. I wonder how that conversation went with Florida on moving it. But it is what it is. If Florida State's having a good year, people will be excited about it. I think the key thing is both teams have an opponent the week before. So you've got equal rest leading up to it. And, and Keith, you had a good result, so why not? We'll do it. <laughs> Plus, we're back to the uh, – we finally incepted the Tom Block schedule where you've got two open weeks 
during the, the course of the, uh, of, of the season, uh, which you've been advocating and I support for quite a while now. Well, I, I actually think that's my favorite part of this schedule because it allows breathing room. Like I heard other media discussing, they, they hate that the, the bye week is, is so early, the first one. But I knew it was going to be after the LSU game because otherwise you're going to open a comp, you're going to play a conference opponent on six days rest, and you don't want to do that. I mean, they played Jacksonville State on six days rest last year, right? And, yep. and if, if memory serves, and we know how that went. So I knew that was going to be one. But the good news is that allowed the flexibility to play the Friday game at Louisville. It's not a short week; you get 13 days. Then you still get a bye week in the midseason when when you might wear it. I don't really think there's anything to complain about on this schedule for FSU. You knew who you were going to play. Uh, obviously, if you could predict when guys are going to be healthy and when opponents are not going to be healthy, then you'd rearrange your schedule, but you don't get that luxury. So you're going to have to play everybody on the schedule. I think one of the other good things, too, is you play two games, you go by, you play five games, by five games. It does break up the schedule into really nice kind of digestible chunks. And I think for players and coaches, you can maybe manage players' injuries using those bye weeks a little bit better. Um and the other thing to, to kind of factor in here, too, is it is the earliest game in Tallahassee, Duquesne, on, on the 27th of August. That means that camp will definitely start in July. So Florida State gets a huge jump, getting into camp early before school starts, and really gets a jump on LSU with that extra time on the practice field. Well, and I like that idea, too, to the point that, honestly, the way the, the wiggle room comes from, if you can find somebody who's playing Hawaii during the year, you can start a week early. Any year that Florida State has, I know there's a lot of folks who aren't excited about playing Duquesne, but let's be honest. If, if, if Whoever the, the FCS opponent is going to be is not going to be a draw. So if you can get somebody and open your season a week early, I like doing it for the reason you just cited. I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense to do it. Plus, by opening with them, you know, you've got uh, fans that haven't seen a ball game in nine months, whatever the case may be, and that may be a little bit more of a draw but simply because this is the first game. Bob, I didn't think we would dive this deep into the schedule. I have some other things, but there, there's other topics here too, most notably, I guess, a couple of uh, the newcomers to Florida State met the media earlier this week and uh, impressions there. One of them, you know, arguably the top recruit that Florida State brought in out of the high school ranks. Yeah, I think um, I think Florida State's got two good ones there. It's, it's probably their two highest rated uh, signees in, in Sam McCall and, and Azariah Thomas. Um, both of them were asked uh, also, you know, not just what position they might be in the defensive backfield. Could they play on special teams as return men? Uh, will they see some, side the, some time on the offensive side of the ball? It sounds like from what both guys said, um, you know, offenses may be on the back burner. I, I think we'll kind of see how that plays out. It's certainly helpful when you have, uh, you know, four grad, sorry, not four grad transfers, but four transfer receivers. So it's not a, a huge need to kind of see if those guys can play offense, defense. But I, I do think these are two guys you want to look at as part of the return game. Are they punt returners, kick returners? Um, and in the end, we'll kind of see, um, you know, McCall was kind of known as an athlete. Um, where does he truly line up? Is, is he more of a corner or a safety um, and I think Azaray is probably more of a corner, but we'll just kind of see how that plays out too. It, it's a really deep position group. Uh, a lot of guys there, a lot of five stars and four stars, but need to see some consistency and separation there, you know, as, as a spring unfolds. 20 something guys, whatever the count is coming in early and, and, and guys, what, what happened to national signing day? Are we, are we, do we even talk about it anymore? 
Yeah, you know, Jerry wrote a column about it, and, and he said, you know, the obvious there's only going to be one guy signing on Wednesday, and it's a total flipping of the script of, of National Signing Day historically. Um, but one of his points is, I think, of a valid one. Would you rather have guys coming in over the summer, or would you rather have guys enrolling early, signing in December, and then you get the time to put them in through strength and conditioning? So, yeah, I mean, for those of us who remember – and truly love that that first Wednesday of February. It's not the same thing at all. But does it kind of is it good for the student athlete to get a jump academically, physically, from a nutrition standpoint too? Um, and yeah, then you're getting to play spring ball. So 15 extra practices, I, I think, is is probably uh, pretty helpful. I'm just still bitter that I don't get to voice the 900 hotline anymore. Cause that was a good extra revenue check when it would come in, when Jerry hired me to do that Osceola 900 hotline on signing day. Well, Tommy, there's still an opportunity for 900 numbers. You just might have to change what you say a little bit. Valid point, valid point. Let's move the conversation along, Bob. This is the million dollar question. And we'll find out tonight because Leonard didn't tip his hand yesterday when you asked him, but He's a firm believer, not just in man-to-man, but in switching one-to-five defensively. And and we saw with what Virginia Tech did. Now, you could play that game again. I don't think Virginia Tech's going to hit quite so many threes. But they were able to take advantage of of McLeod still adjusting what's being asked of him at 7-4 to, to, you know, be in the face of of a guard. So the question is, does Florida State deviate from that tonight against Clemson? And if so, how do you see them? rolling out there to given that they don't have all their parts and pieces and it's going to be a grind from here on out. Yeah. I think that's, that's the big question because, you know, Virginia tech is what number two in the country at, at hitting three pointers. Clemson is, is around 10. Yeah. I mean, we, we kind of know what these teams do. We know what their strengths are. And I think we have to ask ourselves is the strength of the current Florida state roster to be able to switch one through five where, a guy like Naheem or Tenor is required to at times go out there and, and, and get the hands out in front of a, a smaller guard. And what happens if they drive? So you have to leave some amount of space because a, a guard might drive. You have to also defend a three. I don't think Leonard Hamilton's going to come out in a two, three zone. I, I kind of jokingly asked him that, but then the question is how, how do you adjust? And, and I think, there's just not enough practice time to truly dramatically change what you're going to do, but you have to find a way to take away some of the strengths of a Clemson team. That's, that's really good at three point shooting. And of course it would obviously help if you had Evans or or Mills available. And and at this point, you know, as we're talking, trying to figure it out, uh, we may not know until game time. So we'll kind of have to see how how that develops, but I think a shorthanded Florida state team, it doesn't feel good. If if you give Florida State everybody minus Malik Osborne, you have to like your chances up at Clemson, where it's it's truly a tough, tough road atmosphere. Well, and there is considerable difference switching one through five, and you restrict that to one through four. The other thing that I would look for, I've not talked to anybody. Uh, this is just my observation: is you may see Florida State double teaming a little more because uh, that way they'll force some passes, give an opportunity for people not to get to the basket so quickly, that type of thing. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think we'll see much zone. They may trap in the zone uh, full court, but uh, I, I think you may see a little more double team, you know, as appropriate. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, 
I, I referred to it's going to be a grind the rest of the way. It's always a grind in the ACC. Eight days ago, people were feeling good about where Florida State's sitting. Now, eight days later, nobody's feeling good. But you know what? Eight days from now, they might have found something and somehow cobbled together a few more wins, and, and you're back in it. You can't sell Leonard and and company short. Bob, uh, Mike Martin Jr. has met the media. He apparently has nothing but flamethrowers. When you have eight guys in contention to be the Sunday starter, that's an embarrassment of riches and a good problem. And, and softball will start its season next week. So uh, we're in it. We're in it. It's going to be good times. I think the the big takeaway from Mike Martin Jr. is he has a crazy amount of depth, um, starting pitching options, middle relief options, setup man, closer, all that. He's going to use a shift more to uh, kind of help out the defense. The infield could be loaded with transfers, guys with some experience. I, I think you'll see a, a team that cuts down the errors, hopefully cuts down the strikeouts. Um, but that pitching will, will kind of keep uh, pitching and defense will keep the team in. And I think on the baseball side and of course, softball, uh, we, we know they're loaded. We know they're ready to, um, to get back to OKC. That's, that's always going to be the goal for them. Bob that, Frant, that tournament that they have, that tournament they have down in the St. Petersburg area is big too for the, for the ladies on that softball diamond. We'll probably talk some softball next week, KJ. I'll see if we can get coach Lonnie to join us, Bob, uh, I don't want you to overstay your welcome. We appreciate it as always. <laughs> All right. Take care. Keith and I will dive deeper and go game by game into the football schedule. And we continue on front row Knowles. getting the kids to practice on time. Remembering if it's your day to bring snacks, making it to the game with a clean Jersey. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully with auto owners, insurance doesn't have to be one of them. Auto owners works with independent agents who answer when you call. So you can worry about more important things like whether your kid is going to run toward first or third base. That's simple human sense. Your local independent auto owner's agent is the Earl Bacon Agency. Call us at 878-2121 or visit us on the web at earlbacon.com. Some battles are worth fighting. They build character and teach important lessons. Other times, the more we resist, the longer we stay stuck. When a simple change would change everything, is your bank holding you back? Try my bank, Prime Meridian Bank. Changing is easy. We'll show you how. Prime Meridian Bank, Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and on the web at trymybank.com. Member FDIC. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ back with you. Appreciate Bob joining us as always. Keith, let's... Let's go macro before we go micro on this schedule. Uh, you, you touched on it a little bit early on. Uh, you don't get to choose. You're in a conference. You did things from a TV standpoint as a conference that leads to having to play some games on other days. I don't, I don't want to be a John Swafford apologist on this, and we've talked about this a little bit. I, don't, I didn't know Commissioner Swafford other than interviewing him a time or two back in the Sun Sports days. But he gets, he gets the ACC's TV contract pinned on his back because he signed it. And maybe it's the worst deal in the history of TV, and that's because he didn't do a good job negotiating. Or, or maybe it's just not a favorable contract because the ACC hasn't had a favorable product that people are interested in buying. Uh, does that make sense, Keith? I mean, when, sure. you're, when you're sitting there, 
I mean, maybe it's possible that he and ESPN were in the same room. And when he walked out, ESPN said, I can't believe he took that deal. Or they might've said, you know what? He milked us for everything we could possibly get given what the product is. You got to remember a couple of three things. First of all, teams like Wake Forest and Miami and Duke, they don't have 400,000 alumni out there in the world somewhere. You know, those are smaller schools. They don't have the same fan base that an Arkansas or a, a Kentucky has that are good of late, but over the last 50 years have been middle of the road, just like Wake and, and Duke have been middle of the road, Miami much different. So where you negotiate from is different. And remember, the, the way the landscape was, nobody knew what anybody was really doing, and all of this was different. Well, now we're in a different era, okay? We're a different thing. We can be critical of it. But you've also got to remember that the absence of Florida State and Miami from being on the top, you know, the SEC just rotates someone else in. Remember, LSU, though they're yeah. down right now, they won the national championship two years ago. Auburn won it four or five or six years ago. Georgia's won it this year. Alabama's always there. Florida will come back, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You've got to be aware of who you are. If you're six foot three and really good looking and muscularly built, you got a much better chance going out with the homecoming queen than if you're five foot six and 100 pounds overweight. Or put another way, I'm just suggesting when, when Swafford was playing cards with ESPN, he looked at his hand and it said Boston College, Syracuse, Wake Forest, Pitt, and ESPN said, yeah, we're going we're gonna to make the ACC play some Thursday night games and some Friday night games and some other games you don't want to play. So anyway, we don't need to beat that dead horse, but that's, that's how we're get to this point where Florida state is now playing a Friday game. So then I'll go back to this because this, the pendulum has swung completely on this based on Florida state's one loss record of late. When FSU signed these non-conference deals with Alabama and Georgia and even LSU. Now folks were not happy that the LSU deal was not a home and home from the get go, but the thought process was FSU needed to beef up the home schedule to sell season tickets, to make it attractive to alums who live in Orlando and Tampa and Miami to buy the season tickets and come up because this year, 26 or whatever, and I'm not looking at it, you got Florida and you got Clemson and you got Alabama at home or or whatever the combination is. But now that has suddenly reversed to FSU has no business playing anybody that's any good at all, and they should play Duquesne three times and then play Florida to get the win. So same argument you just made, Keith. You got to look at where you stand when you're signing the deals. You know, I, I harken back, and our, our listeners get tired of it, but you remember uh, Stapleton was having to put schedules together in the early 70s, and that resulted in five consecutive road games at LSU. And I played in the first two of them. That resulted in the 81 Oktoberfest, five games in one month against powerhouses, all of them away. That, at, that least, resulted, at least we're not there. That resulted in Bobby Bowden putting his future in that 80 game on what happened at LSU, right? I mean, if he doesn't win that game, I got to get out and I'm going to go maybe take that job long before Alabama was in the mix in 86. So all that is a long way to say when the schedule comes out and it's Friday night, you've got all these different constituencies and, and I don't know where Florida States, obviously Florida state wants to make as many constituencies happy as possible, but you've got, okay, the students are going home for Thanksgiving break. You've got alums, 65% 65% of which in terms of season ticket holders, I think it's 65% or I four quarter or South. You've got local businesses. 
You've also got recruiting and this being the lifeblood of your athletic department budget, how the football team goes. And so you've got an opportunity to play a primetime game to get some exposure, uh, to make TV happy. It's a lot of things to try and balance, and you're never going to make everybody happy when you get to the answer on that. Uh, and this time around, Florida State landed at it's going to be a primetime game on Friday. I do think it's going to be the most notable game that day if Florida and FSU have respectable seasons. If you're if you're if they're both 500, maybe not so much, but it's certainly the two highest profile teams probably playing on that Friday this year. Isn't it amazing that there's all this consternation, and in many cases, rightfully so, over a 21-hour difference? Because without the Friday night game, you'd be playing at 3.30 on Saturday. It's 21 hours. Right. But, but you might not know. That's the world we live in. That's you might not know in. that it's 3.30 until Sunday or Monday of that week which could impact your travel plans if you didn't have a hotel, you know, because it might be a noon game. You have to get there Friday. So anyway, that that's a long way of saying I, I'm, I'm OK with trying it and, and seeing what happens. And we'll, we'll just go with it from there. Uh, the schedule overall, Keith, I mentioned this in our segment with Bob. I love opening with a warm up game. I think we've talked about this. I think the NCAA should allow everybody to start in week zero, not having to find somebody that is playing Hawaii so you can get the exemption like Florida State did this year and finding Duquesne. But I like it. You're tired of hitting one another in fall camp, as you know. Uh, you, you get to feel good in theory because you're going to win a game and you get a little rust off and, and you get to clean things up before you play LSU. Love that. I do too. And again, with playing LSU in uh, New Orleans and then the open week after that, as I mentioned previously, you know, fans, true Florida State, dedicated Florida State fans that live outside of the Tallahassee area, I mean, they're going to be one, I would hope, been wanting to come because they're not going to be able to see a Florida State live for four more weeks or three weeks, however you count it. So um, I think it sets up well at the beginning of the year. I really do. Well, in the LSU game, it's in the Superdome, which is now the Caesars Superdome, not the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. But it's not as if this is in a way it, – It's obviously, it's not a home-and-home, home, but it's not like LSU gets 90% of the tickets and FSU is going to get 5,000. The, the tickets are split, and so it's incumbent upon FSU fans, if you don't want that to be 70% LSU and 30% FSU, buy your tickets because you can fill up, just like a bowl game, you can fill up half the stadium to make it truly a neutral event, and that's that's on Florida State fans and alums to, to get out in force and, and show up in New Orleans. And, and if you want to be brutally honest, uh, it's a little bit insightful. Obviously, when you signed that contract with LSU, you didn't know. But again, coming off four losing seasons, you're not a candidate to play in one of those early season games in Orlando or Atlanta or Dallas or whatever. And and in this way, you are. And FSU's getting a big payday for it. I don't, I don't know what it is, but it's more than an extra home game, which goes back to who's FSU need to take care of. And it's a delicate balance. Uh, is it the fans? Is it the local businesses? Is it making the home schedule more attractive? Is it sometimes taking a payday like this? This is the last series that's on the books right now that is a neutral site this year and next year in Orlando. Everything else is home and home for Florida State or or just a one-off with a FCS or FBS opponent coming in to, to, to Doe Campbell Stadium. So then you get a week off and you play a Friday night at Louisville. I'm not opposed to that. Louisville plays the week before, so you're going to have 13 days. Louisville's going to have a week to get ready, and, and you play Plus, Friday night instead of Saturday. Plus, there are limited venues that can play the Thursday night and Friday night games. I mean, you can't play a Thursday night or Friday night game in Tallahassee if school is in session. Well, Louisville's uh, stadium is off campus. And there are a couple of three other 
uh, stadiums that are like that. Uh, so, yeah, I like it. You've got plenty of time to get ready. Uh, you'll have uh, an extra day to get ready for the next opponent following, and uh, you get right into the meat of your schedule. Yeah, it's a good point you make. We used to complain, fans would complain about Florida State getting stuck with all those Thursday night road games, but it's because they, they didn't have an option to play the home games without taking a fall break and closing down the university. FSU did host a Friday game a few years ago because it was on Veterans Day and the university was closed. But, yeah, that, that's another point. You, by playing on Friday – you get an extra day to get ready for Boston College, who comes to town in September. And just as FSU often has to go to BC when it's cold and deal with the weather, BC has to come to Tallahassee when it's hot because I don't ever recall September 24th not being hot in Tallahassee, Keith. I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I, it'll. I'm pretty sure it'll be humid and it'll feel like a hundred. I was going to say I, I don't always remember it being a hundred degrees, but I never remember it being thirty. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you you get BC there. Uh, and again, I don't think there's a lot to argue with. Then you get Wake Forest. Now, Wake Forest is at home. Not that the weather's going to be an advantage there, but Wake Forest, they're the defending Atlantic Division champs. They bring back their quarterback like everybody else that Florida State plays, it seems, this year. But you got them at home. You will have had uh, a bye week to, to fine-tune things that went wrong early on. You will have started your practice a week earlier by virtue of playing Duquesne earlier. I mean, in theory, you should be ahead of what Wake Forest is at this point. You know, the one thing I keep, uh, and we talked about it during the season, um, I keep harking back to is, you know, the the, the advantages of having those, all those sixth-year players, which will not be the case in 2022, but uh, Wake Forest has done a, a historical job of redshirting people, so you're playing older players. Uh, you want to catch them early. You don't want those older players to also then have experience. So playing those types of teams in uh, week uh, nine or ten, uh, you'd rather get them early, rather get them early. And it, that's the toughest stretch on the schedule. You got Wake at home at NC State, and then you got Clemson. And then you get a bye week to, to hopefully not to lick your wounds, but hopefully to fine-tune again before Georgia Tech comes in. I mean, you're going to have to play at NC State, and you're going to have to play Clemson at some point. So I don't know when a better time is. You're not going to have to deal with weather at NC State. That stadium's always tough for Florida State to play in, going back to mainly when Chuck Amato got there, but even before that, when, when Torrey Holt and the Wolfpack beat oh, Florida State. Those, and those daggum Thursday night games in Raleigh, those were just horrible. Yeah, so but you're going to have to go to Carter-Finley at some point. So, uh, And then you get Clemson the week after. And Florida State played Clemson, you know, had the lead with three minutes to go a year ago at Clemson. So after that, you get a bye week, and then you get Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech might be on its last legs with its current coaching staff. Had some guys transfer out. Uh, and then you go they have, to they Miami. have a new quarterback coach, though, don't they? They do have a new quarterback coach. That was really <laughs> odd. I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't see him personally, but last week when I was at Georgia Tech with the men's basketball team, Keith, first person I look up and see is James Ramsey, who, of course, was a Florida State star, but he's from the Atlanta area, and he's coaching for Georgia Tech on the baseball side. And Chuck Walsh was over there waiting to see Chris Winkie because Chris wanted to meet Coach Hamilton. I didn't get a chance to say hello to Chris. I'm thinking these are two Florida State All-Americans who are coaching for the other side now. Yes, you are right. Chris Winkie is the quarterback coach for Georgia Tech. I saw Winkie at uh, Coach Bowden's memorial service. And uh, we don't know each other terribly well, but we've known each other a long time, obviously. And I said, so what, what are your prospects? He said, I don't have any. I said, well, is, are they still paying out your contract? He said, yeah, so I'm, I'm good financially, but I need to get back after it. And uh, he, he will be getting back after it at, uh, in Atlanta. Let's be honest. Before, you're talking about his NFL contract, Keith, but he had baseball money and invested in apartments and all that 
and is making returns from his real estate days before he even got NFL money. That's Jeff Puritan about that. He'll be the one to tell you about that. <laughs> All Only right, insiders so, will know what that comment means. Anyway, you get after Georgia Tech as we turn the page, you got Miami and Syracuse back to back. Syracuse, I was just in the Carrier Dome, Keith. It was, it was minus 22 outside. They do have air conditioning in there right now. Playing Veterans Day weekend on November 12th, they won't have to turn the air conditioning on, but it won't be minus 22 outside. It'll be chilly, but well, it'll just be remember, climate controlled inside. Well, just remember the last time we were up there, it was late and it was hot as hell. You remember that? I do. I do. And then you get Louisiana and then you get Florida on six days rest, which Florida is playing the week before against Vandy. So they actually have a conference game the week before, and it might be a conference road game. I'm not looking at their schedule right now. I'm not sure about that, but, uh, Anyway, the schedule is what it is, Keith. I'm excited it's here. I'm excited we know about it. I'm excited spring practice is coming up. And I need to think of another adjective besides excited. <laughs> well, certainly, as we've talked about, um, the coaching staff um, is solidified. Uh, you know who's going to be with you with Dugans and Hagans uh, signing their extensions. Um, you got some new faces coming in uh, with Corey and, and some others to help with off-the-field things. Um, you got Coach Shannon and, and his historical uh, experience and head coaching experience and, and coordinator experience uh, working with Adam on the defensive side. Uh, well, obviously, this is a time of year when we're all optimistic. We're all going to go 12-0. and 0. We're going to play in the uh, conference championship game. We're going to win the national championship. But there are a number of things pointing in the right direction for Florida State as Norvell continues to build this program. And all the signing day work, most of it, 98% of it was done in December. We're all talking about the class of 23. <laughs> it's amazing. It's just amazing. I've got an idea related to the schedule. This is not FSU schedule. It's more the way conferences and college football bow down to ESPN. I'll share that with you and our listeners when we come back. Stay with us here on Front Row Knowles. It's a new year, but some things don't change, like your best deal and your best service is still at Hobson Chevrolet Buick in Cairo, Georgia. You always know you'll get a great deal, but did you also know that we have one of the best service and parts departments in North Florida and South Georgia with our highly trained GM certified technicians and 18 service bays to better serve you. We'll get you in and out quick and do the job right. So whether it's sales or service, come by and see us or check us out at HobsonChevrolet.com. Buy your new Chevrolet the Hobson way. Getting the kids to practice on time. Remembering if it's your day to bring snacks. Making it to the game with a clean jersey. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with auto owners, insurance doesn't have to be one of them. Auto owners works with independent agents who answer when you call. So you can worry about more important things. Like whether your kid is going to run toward first or third base. That's simple human sense. Your local independent auto owner's agent is the Earl Bacon Agency. Call us at 878-2121 or visit us on the web at earlbacon.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and Keith back with you. Keith, this isn't anything um, novel or new. It's just that we don't see it at the college level. The, the way the college TV schedule works is around June, the networks will set the kickoff times for the first three weeks of the season. 
But then the next nine, 10 weeks of the season, they could care less about the fans in the stands and they will hold kickoff time till 13 days. And in many cases till six days. And if you look at the way the NFL does this, they do have flex scheduling, but it doesn't take place until the final third of the season. And I just wonder, I mean, if you're Alabama, if you're the SEC, frankly, and you're the one that's been driving college football, can you not push back on the networks and say, hey, for the sake of our fans and our university, can we at least set kickoff times for the first six or seven weeks? And then you can have, I don't know, October 20th on to do your flex scheduling. It's just it's not a it, it's a raw deal for the fans, and we've just lived with it forever because that's the way it is. Well, I would think I was not in the meetings, but I would think that part of that was a concession to the networks in order to get the money. Well, oh, now certainly. we're into it. Now certainly. we're into it. Now we're into it. So now when you start renegotiating or negotiating new deals, particularly given the fact that, and we'll talk about this on later shows, but you know, it's not going to be the ES, ESPN ACC network. There's going to be two or possibly three carriers with the next conference deal. And in that regard, you've got a little more, I would think, a little more power to say, all right, we'll do this this way, but we have to have the first six weeks or seven weeks or whatever. Those have to be decided in June, and you only get the last half of the season or the last 40% of the season to do those windows or something like that. Yeah, I, I just think it would help. I know we, as we've discussed, I mean, it's all about the home viewer and the ad revenue and the TV dollars, but it's really been unfair to fans for a while that you wait until Sunday or Monday to find out, oh, it's a 12 noon game or, oh, it's an 8 p.m. game. And it totally changes uh, for a lot of folks the way they would uh, travel to the game and add in extra hotel nights and all that. Anyway, I, again, that's not earth shattering. It's not a new idea. I just feel like the colleges should push back on that a little bit or the conferences should. And the SEC and the Big Ten, they've got the biggest, fattest deal, so they're the ones that have got the most clout to try and do that. Keith, we got a couple minutes to go as we uh, finish up. I saw this that uh, you'll remember this, but Clint Trickett has been named the offensive coordinator at Marshall. Now, do you know what was the springboard to Clint Trickett's career? When he transferred from Florida State to West Virginia. Oh, no, no. It was when he was the very first guest on Front Row Knowles. Do you remember we had him on when we were at the old place? He was our very first guest. He was coaching in Scuba, Mississippi at Last Chance U, and he came on our show, and look what he's done now, and he owes it all to us, Keith. I had I would never have gotten that test question correct. <laughs> but so you remember now, glad, don't you? I do remember now. That's the <laughs> thing about getting older, Tommy. I can't remember but I can recall if you get me started. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anyway, that is a true story. He was our first guest when we got the show started and good for him for, uh, for getting there. We don't have time to dive into this now, Keith, but I want you to start thinking about it. The, uh, the rules committee has at the top of the list, how to penalize or how to handle the fact that teams fake injuries to slow down the offenses. Now this has been kicked around for a while. Nobody has a great solution, but they're meeting March 1st. And that is, unfortunately they put it above fixing targeting and how that's enforced, but they are going to try to come up with a remedy or do something to try and uh, curb how many times players are faking injuries. They need to start with the same thing they do with penalties in the 10 second runoff. Okay. 
You fake an injury, you lose a timeout. You fake you you get injured, we give the offense 20 more seconds. Unfortunately, and we're about out of time here. How do you know they fake? You almost have to go the other way and you get penalized for somebody who has a real injury because you say anybody who's injured has to sit out the entire series. Well, then or you might not have so be it. Yeah. So then you might not have somebody that's faking an injury because you've lost them for the whole series or for or you or to put them back in, you have to call a timeout and then you could put them back in. Thing the same same thing as if you lose your helmet. You know, you got to be off a play or you can call a timeout and put them back in. I don't if there's know. No blood. If there's no blood, you have to uh, give up the timeout. <laughs> All right. Well, that's coming up. We'll dive deeper on that in future shows. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.